Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we've got Landon and Jesse Bokley with the Bokley Brothers, and they flew in from Las Vegas to talk about how they're doing seven-figure flips multiple times off the MLS. Now, I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires. Uh, the information on this podcast alone is to help you to become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you will take consistent action, you will become one, and our sales leadership program is just around the corner. If you're not signed up, you'll be missing out on Ren sharing what it takes to build a company to do 100-plus transactions a month. DM me the word leadership if, you, if that sounds like something that would be interesting to you. Now, the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And if you get value today, please tag a friend below, share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. You know, the, the old adage, a rising tide lifts all boats. We're all trying to grow here together. And don't forget, tomorrow we do have Pardon the Disruption. Uh, so this is a live show. Please ask your questions for Jesse and Landon to answer. You ready? Let's Very. go. Very. All right. Very cool. So first question is, what was your life before real estate? I love that one. We get into the personal stuff. Yeah. That's good. Right yeah. out of the gate here. So yeah. before we officially started or decided to get into real estate investing, I was living in San Francisco, and I was working uh, logistics, basically like global shipping for a tech company. Mm -hmm. So not super glamorous. Not Definitely exciting. would consider it like <laughs> your traditional nine to five. Um, and I quickly realized that was not for me. You weren't posting on Instagram about it? No. Yeah. Nope. Not, nothing to boast about there. <laughs> okay. Were you uh, unfulfilled in that role? Definitely. Definitely. It was, a, it was a great role. I learned at a young age what it was like to be young and have people underneath you mm -hmm. that are especially older mm -hmm. and how that dynamic works. So I learned a lot. I'm very grateful for it, but it definitely wasn't a position I was proud of, boasting of, or saw a future in. Gotcha. How about you? Yeah, so I went to Arizona State. So I was just a nice young college grad from mm -hmm. a great university back in 2013 is when I graduated. Came home back to Vegas pretty quick from graduation and started serving tables at the foundation room at the Mandalay Bay. So when I got graduated, a, graduated a degree, ASU, I know took me five years degree in uh, business communications. Okay. And then you went and took that and became a server. In went Vegas. took it, became Naturally. a server. Yeah. So I was a server for, for about six months. Um, you know, making good money for a 21 year old kid, 22 year old kid out of yeah. college. Um, but then I jumped into being a realtor at Berkshire Hathaway. Mm -hmm. So I went into the sales game, right? I went to the real estate game pretty quick. Family friend um, that I was hooked up with was a good team leader, led a top 10 team for the past 10 years at Berkshire Hathaway. I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. Let's do it. Yeah. So started doing traditional buyers and sellers. That sounds like a Brian DeVilla story. Yeah. yeah. Very pretty similar. close. Pretty close. Yeah. Okay. So how long do you uh, stay on the realtor side? So as a realtor, I stayed with Berkshire Hathaway for two years, did some deals, did well, um, got my game tied in terms of, you know, time management, scheduling, got a little bit more mature with who I was as a person and actually had an opportunity to link up with a commercial uh, broker out in Vegas, mm -hmm. uh, Dan Adamson, who is a big mentor for me um, even still. And he did retail, shopping center acquisitions, dispositions and leasing. So I worked with him for two years and kind of learned a little, learned a little bit about the leasing game and the commercial yeah. game. So that was cool. Um, 
So I've, I've had other people that were on commercial before, and I, this question I just want to ask is because I think there's so many similarities between wholesaling and commercial. I think wholesaling is a lot more like commercial real estate than it is like residential real estate. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you know, the way you market directly to the sellers and wholesaling, I think super similar to mm-hmm. how commercial cl- brokers get their clients. You know, it's it's much more similar in that sense. Um, you know, I was still young and pretty new to the game, so I wasn't in it very long. You, I was only in it for two years before mm-hmm. Jesse and I actually had the chance to link up and start flipping uh, yeah. in 2016. But from what I learned, I mean, I did a couple of big lease deals just from – the little time I was there where I'm still doing them today with some clients, which is cool. Yeah. Cause like, uh, what I understand, right. is like you start off is like, here's a list. Go cold call this list. Yep. Right. That, and you're just going to dial until you get someone that's interested. And once you get someone that's interested and they raise their hand, you go in there and you lock up the agreement, whatever you don't necessarily cooperate on the MLS, like the residential side, you then start cold calling for buyers and try to sell your own deal. So you gotta do your disposition and acquisition in-house. Right. Not to say that you don't wanna cooperate with other people, but like cooperating with other people is like your last resort. It's kinda like today, I'm gonna try to dispo it myself, and if I can't dispo, dispo it myself, then I'm gonna call Keegley. Right, you're yeah, gonna reach right? out to other See teams. if they can sure, dispo it. Sure. Right, so that was kinda my experience over there, is that? It is, yeah, and you know, I was calling pretty big retail tenants. I was talking mm-hmm. to, you know, the Burger Kings of the world. I was talking to some of these big franchises. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a little bit more of a held in-house competitive nature. Not a lot yeah. of collaboration going on for sure. Um, versus what we're doing today, which is obviously a lot more collaborative. So, right. So then when did you guys link up? That was about halfway through 2016 is when he was still working over there. The office I was working at actually relocated back home to Las Vegas, so I came with it. Big coincidence. Big coincidence. And then our our dads have always been in real estate. That's kind of our, our segue of how it was introduced to us in mm-hmm. our lives. And they just floated the idea around, like, why don't you guys team up and do something like this together? And so that idea was a spark and got us joined up. Basically, we took down a small little office, like mm-hmm. a small little room inside of our dad's office, and that was the the war room. That was the headquarters where it all started. Gotcha. So uh, what would happen if you guys never closed your first deal? Oh, that's interesting. I think we would have still gone on and gone to the second and mm-hmm. persevered because once we decided, hey, we're we're doing this, we are investing, we are flipping, I don't think there was any stopping us. What was it that gave you guys such conviction? I think them. I think our dads and the way that they brought us up. You know, they're mm-hmm. just very entrepreneurial. Their father walked out on them when they were 12 years old. They're identical twins. Um, so they fended for themselves their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And I think they just put that on us where it's like, look, we, we're not afraid to, you know, jump in and jump all in. You know, and that's what we've done with everything from – the flip side to the brokerage side to now our content creation and um, education. education side of the business. Yeah. It's like, look, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it and we're going to do it all in. So I completely missed something prior to this moment. Hmm. Right. So you guys are actually not brothers. Uh, you let the secret out. I think we did. But. Yeah, we might have. <laughs> so we're cousins. Yeah. Technically. But if you're going to create a brand and spread it around the world, how does Bokley cousins sound? <laughs> Sounds a little weird. Bokley brothers. 
sounds a lot better. Get yeah. the alliteration going. So that's yeah. why we went with it. And it's just natural. I mean, you know, we've been, like we said, you know, our dads are identical twins. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like as deep of brothers as you could possibly be. Yeah. And, you know, we treat each other the same way. So it's just like, yeah, we're brothers. We're, you know. Yeah. That's cool. I just didn't realize until just now. Yeah. Uh, so after you're closing your first deal, how did you guys continue? Well, actually, before that, tell me about your first deal. Okay. okay. So the first deal was pretty easy. And not to fast forward to the closing, but we had already bought two more deals before we closed that first deal. So we were, like I said, we were making this happen regardless. Mm -hmm. That first one didn't close or not. We were already on our way to investing in a big way. So the first deal was pretty simple. We got a referral of a contractor who uh, some mentors of ours had used in the past. And we called him, said we wanted to use him. He said, great, I actually have some people working for me that could help you guys find a deal as well. So he helped us find the first deal. And he was a contractor on the first deal. So got handheld. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. And so that first one was an easy, like maybe 2004, 2005 build, great area, South Summerlin, if you know the area of Las Vegas, pure cosmetic. Yeah. Couldn't Very have been cosmetic, easier. Easy cookie cutter rehab. Yep. So. And what did you guys uh, make on that first one? I think we cleared somewhere like 25, 35. Mm -hmm. A good base hit. Great proof of concept. Yeah. yeah. All right. So then after closing your first deal, how did you guys continue the momentum? So, you know, we we went in, into this with no experience. So we didn't know how to find deals. I knew how to use the MLS. That's mm -hmm. all I knew. So, you know, knowing that the MLS we could buy deals off of, I taught Jesse how to use it. So we just, the first deal was kind of handed to us, like he said, the next couple deals we found ourselves. Right. So now we started getting into the mindset of like, okay, we know the numbers based off that first one. Let's just go find, you know, properties that repl replicate those exact numbers. And that's what we did. So we started searching the MLS and offering ourselves on the MLS. And right away we found a couple more. Yeah. Um, Use the same contractor, so you know we had a good contractor in place, which uh, which I think is a tough starting spot for a lot of people is True. to find that mm -hmm. right GC for flipping homes. You know, right. there's a you could get robbed very easily from someone who does big high end retail jobs because they don't make enough on the flip properties. Mm -hmm. um, so we just had the right people in place and taught Jesse how to use the MLS, and we're we're offering from there on out. Because then it was a two man show, probably for too long, yeah. but. Offering on homes, negotiating purchases, actually closing them, managing construction, design, selling. Paperwork, just us two. escrow, everything. Yeah. yeah. For probably like 150 homes. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So you're sourcing off the MLS, um, which for a long time I heard a lot of people say you couldn't do. So like there was this time where it was easy to buy off the MLS and there was this time where it became more challenging. Yeah. But even this time where everyone else is still saying it was challenging – you guys are still buying off the MLS. And I love when they say that. Big time. Yeah. So how how is that possible? I love when people say that. Because yeah. what that means is, okay, great, less competition. All right. I, if you have that stigma and you believe <laughs> right. it, then you're probably not going to go play in my playground. So right. awesome, more room for me. Yeah. I love when they say that. So you just like zip it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. MLS sucks. Don't, <laughs> don't buy deals there. Yeah. Uh, but you guys are obviously doing something different. So what yeah. were you guys doing differently? So I think one of the things that's made us successful in general whether the market's really easy to get deals on the MLS or when it becomes difficult, which we've had success, like you said, throughout different market conditions, is just how dedicated we are to it and how persistent we are to it. That means playing the numbers game, mm -hmm. which no one wants to do. 
Right. Everyone says they are, but their numbers are this big when mm -hmm. they really need to be 10 times that. We also do something I think that's really unique when we talk to other people who do do MLS acquisitions is we don't disqualify any listing from being a potential purchase. And I think a lot of people subconsciously do that without even knowing as they click through, as they search the map, they just come across something and internally inside their subconscious, they say, oh, I can never buy that. And no, it moves them they along. They won't take my price on it. Right. Like, they're not going to take 150K under list price for this right. house. It looks fine. We mm -hmm. don't do that. Yeah. No matter what. Everyone gets an offer. Everyone gets an offer. All Everyone right. should have an offer from us. Well, that makes it simple enough. Yeah. Uh, okay. So then what were some doubts you guys faced along the way? I know you said like mindset, like you guys were going to do it no matter what. Mm -hmm. What were some doubts you guys faced along the way? I'd say one that was early on, um, being, being kind of, I would say, ushered in with some guidance, some mentors being our fathers and the people that they knew in this business was that, are we going to be able to graduate from under their wing? And we got a lot of scrutiny for being under their wing too. You, you do. Know, so and can we get out of that scrutiny? What kind of scrutiny? You know, just it's handed to you. Most success stories you want to hear is from people that came from very difficult scenarios, mm -hmm. right? Rags to riches. Rags to riches is the best success story because it's the most relatable. And mm -hmm. I can appreciate those type of success stories for sure. You know, that's what our dads were, were rags to riches. Um, but for us, we weren't. So we get, we've gone to scrutiny our entire lives at like, yeah. You know, spoiled rich kids, this and, you know, silver they spoon get everything, handed yeah, to them. silver totally. spoon handed to them and all that, which that's the battle we've had to face, Yeah, you know, which is a different type of battle, um, but it's what it's been. So it's, can we get out from under that yeah. silver spoon scrutiny? And can we feel individually, no matter what other people think that, hey, we could do this on our own and we could succeed on our own. Yeah. Can we stand on, on our own two feet? And yeah. I think we proved that we can. Yeah. When did uh, your business begin to blossom? 2019. Yeah, so, which is about, like, we started in 2016. We really, that was towards the end of the year, so we really started in 2017. And that was two years of us doing every single thing, A to Z. And once we realized, okay, we have to, have to <laughs> hire somebody if mm -hmm. we want to grow. Yeah. And we did it. The moment we did that is when it started really growing and really blossoming. Yeah. Being able to do more properties, hold more properties, take on more risk, you name it. As soon as we started delegating money, roles, yeah. we started to grow. Uh, who was it that beat it into your heads? That we needed to do that? Yeah. Honestly, I think it just came from us. I think yeah. it just came from pure frustration. Yeah. Ryan Pineda <laughs> gave us a lot of you know, grief for it as well. So I give yeah, a lot of credit to us. him in 2019. Yeah. You know, that's kind of where I say things changed was, you know, Jesse and I, as he was explaining, we did everything ourselves. So that means we were in our cave of an office for three years before that, thinking like, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do this? Like, how are we going to grow if we're managing construction all day, every day, and trying to buy properties? And that hindered the growth of our business. Yeah. And then when we started, you know, seeing Ryan's success and talking to him more about what he was doing, it was more collaboration, more networking, you know, more delegating and hiring and bringing people mm -hmm. on. And the second we started taking that, you know, advice into, into play and hiring our project managers, I mean, we three, four, five extra business in two years. Even acquisitions, getting yeah. a team, somebody else to do that so we didn't have to spend so much time physically on the MLS. Right. Um, 
So, uh, I guess, what were some of the struggles? Like, you, you, it's starting to go good. So we're talking about, you, you know, delegation, being overwhelmed. What are some other early struggles you had in, in growing your business? So I think one thing, it didn't come to light until more recently. And I don't want to say this in a negative sense, because it was fantastic the way we were able to get started, the gift we were given, the opportunity we were given from our dads to be able to do this and then take the ball and run with it. But they're sharks. Don't get me wrong. So when we started out, they took a good portion of what we made. Fair. They got us started. They gave us this runway. Mm -hmm. But I think that not realizing how we could grow if we diversified our funding sources, if we were able to take more home, reinvest it into the business. We didn't do that for a very long time. And I think that hindered our growth for longer than it needed to. Yeah. So reinvesting into your own yeah. business. So uh, we talked about, you know, uh, 25K in your first one. It was, it was going. What are some other, like, big victories you guys had in your career? Oh, I love talking about these. These are good. Yeah. Um, you know, we did a lot of, so basically 2016 to 2019, our average profit per deal was anywhere between, like, sixteen and $20,000. So we were working very hard to make very little in, yeah. in, in our sense, you know, because we were giving a portion of that up as well. Um, so I think the big victory was when we started flipping and jumping into luxury and we threw in a couple luxury homes mm-hmm. in 2019 and took a little bit of a higher risk um, with confidence and started hitting those six-figure-plus profits pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Um, I'd say one of our biggest victories um, – the wholesale, just tell them. There's two of them, yeah. Well, there's two <laughs> good. of them. It's great. So we wholesaled a deal off the MLS. That's something that we do a lot is wholesale off the MLS. And we did a wholesale deal where we locked it up for $1.59 million and wholesaled it for two point one. So we made like a $345,000 wholesale fee off the MLS in like 10 20, days, yeah. which was awesome. Right. So that's a huge win. I think our second biggest win um, was our $600,000 profit on a, on a luxury flip Um Earlier this year, yeah. which was great. So, 345k assignment fee, mm-hmm. but you can't do deals off the MLS, right? There you so, go. So, talk to me about <laughs> this specific listing. What, what were some things that you saw in that listing, or okay. how did you know it was going to be a deal? Sure, sure. So, yeah, I love the deal. It's an it's an awesome deal. And we vetted it out just like we would any other flip. We actually had every intention of buying it as a flip, mm-hmm. so it was a good deal. It's in an A class neighborhood in Las Vegas. Guard-gated, I don't think it has a uh, golf course. Guard-gated community in Summerlin, totally right where you want to be. Newer houses too, not too, too dated, so still desirable. Just on the inside, needed total cosmetic uplift, um, but sat in also a great place in the neighborhood too. So all of the non-numerical characteristics of this house screamed yes. Yeah, so it had all the right intangibles. Right. And then... We were able to negotiate a little off the list price. It wasn't like a terrible, terrible discount. I think we thought this house was going to be worth 2.5 yes. to like 2.7. And yes. we bought it, I think it was listed at probably 1.9, and we bought it for 1.6, let's just say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something, something close the numbers to that. easy. And given those numbers, we would have had a decent flip. A couple hundred thousand in rehab, probably take home a couple hundred thousand as well. But while, like, the the day after we locked this up and we are in escrow now, another sale closed at 2.9 or 3 million. That Mm -hmm. was 
almost directly comparable. Yeah. And so that immediately gave us 500,000 mm-hmm. on our ARV yeah. increased. So all of a sudden it went from a good deal to a how the hell did we get our hands on this type of a deal? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a decision that we had to make, which we make with all of our wholesale deals is, do we take it and make 800000 on this flip, or do we sell it to this buyer and make a quick 345000 We were trying to make a little bit more. I think we were trying to make like four hundred, and we negotiated it down. So yeah. it was like a 50% deal. Like We could flip it and make eight hundred, or we could sell it and make 50% <laughs> of that, but we do it in 10 days, get rid of it, and spend the money on a new home. Yeah. So we decided to wholesale it to one of our solid buyers on our buyers list that buys luxury properties mm-hmm. and they flip luxury properties and they paid us happily a $347,000 wholesale fee. Yeah. So was this on the market for like a number of days? Was it hot or was it like stale? I don't think it was super stale, but I don't think it was also like brand new day of listing that we got it. No. Yeah. It was around for a couple of days. Luxury does sit around for a couple of days too. It's one of the reasons why we really months. love it. Right. Is not even yes, a couple months regardless, but right. usually when you go after let's say in this area, Vegas area, comparable 2, 3, 4, 500,000 dollar house, every investor wants to get their hands on that house, mm-hmm. especially when it's close to price right and it's outdated. Everyone sees it, everyone wants it. But a house like that, even an investor a lot of them don't have the funding sources for 1.6, 1.7 million. Mm-hmm. They don't have the experience, the wherewithal, the knowledge to rehab with a budget of two, 300,000. So we don't have a lot of competition in that yeah. as well. So even though it sat, we were probably one of the first people that talked to them even about it. At it. Yeah. And that's what I think a big stigma is about the MLS is people think, well, every deal has to be negotiated so deep. Mm-hmm. And... The other deal we talk about, the actual flip that we did flip and make 600000 on, that home was listed at $1.4 million. Oh, we'll get to that one in a sec. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so right. so you got this one. It was a good deal. It turned into a great deal. Yeah. Reached out to one of your buyers. Yep. Uh, and they saw it, and they're like, yeah, I'm in. Yep. They didn't care about what you made. No, nope. because they could truly see the actual value there, mm-hmm. and there wasn't any shadiness about how we transferred that over. Yeah. We. We know, like, and trust them. They know, like, and trust us for years and years and years. Do you know how much he ended up making on that one? I think, actually, they moved into it. I think they actually lived in it and like, didn't sell it all. They off. made it so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't, I don't the blame them. The product's insane. But yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'd say it's probably worth still three because it probably went up from that three million ARV yeah, to it was a little four, while ago. And mm-hmm. then now it's probably come back down to like three, yeah. two or something. So still a great deal. What, uh, what did. What was that conversation like with the realtor, right? Going from 1.9 to 1.6. Was that a difficult conversation? Was that a normal conversation? Very normal, um, as most of them are. Mm-hmm. It's, like I said, every home should get an offer for, from us. And it, it, it's not, it's a big difference. Yes, it's a couple hundred thousand. But when you're in a higher price point, that couple hundred thousand is real common. Mm-hmm. A swing in either direction of that much money isn't totally foreign to the sellers, to the listing agents. So it wasn't something out of the ordinary, but our acquisition team, you know, our main yeah, guy locked think, that up. I, I think it was a conversation back and forth for a month or two, though. I, I want to say that they came back to the party mm-hmm. one or two times before they actually accepted that deal. Yeah. Um, just thinking back and trying to remember it. It wasn't just an initial acceptance. Yeah. So then you guys bought another one. Yeah. You guys did even better on. Yeah. Talk to me about that deal. So that deal we actually flipped. And like I was saying uh, a few minutes ago, 
know, the stigma of the MLS is you have to always offer so far below list to even get these deals accepted when, you know, that's simply not true. You mm -hmm. have to be able to identify opportunities. And this is a property in a country club, Anthem Country Club in Henderson, um, near Vegas. Beautiful property. And it was listed at $1.4 And we had a comp that was listed at, at that just sold completely original, unrenovated, two, three doors down at 185. So we figured we could get probably two one, two two for it. Mm -hmm. um, so we paid one four two five for it. We paid twenty five thousand over list for it. We ended up putting about four hundred thousand into the rehab on it. Got away from us a little bit. Yeah, you know, we, <laughs> our first really big one. We were going to yeah. put like LVT floors in it, and then once we opened, like it was so closed off, like so many walls and we got in there with our GC and he's like, guys, you won't believe this. We could take every wall in here out. It's there's no load bearing walls in this entire room. Mm -hmm. So this small, like so they had a funky floor plan maze yeah. floor plan they literally did. opened up to like 3000 square feet of wide open space. Yeah. So we put a 22 foot slider in like when we saw that, we're like, okay, tile the floors, mm -hmm. do this place up. We're going to spend an extra hundred grand on this place. And ended up selling it for two five five within one day on market. So you guys bought it for twenty five over. Yep. Multiple offer situation, I, I imagine. Yep. Uh, in those scenarios, uh, what were you having to do then to win those offers? Those oh, negotiations. Oh yeah. yeah. It was most of our offers or all of our offers are no inspection contingencies. We do our own inspection. So there's the the slight difference between that is we don't place an inspection contingency, meaning we're not going to ask for any repairs. We're mm -hmm. not going to ask the sellers to do anything. We just need to go in there with our general contractors, which we can do in one day, yep. and get a bid, talk about what the design, what we're going to do to the house. But the offer is super clean. It was probably a 10-day, 14-day close, I yep. would say max, with a five- to seven-day due diligence period mm -hmm. and one property visit, maybe two. Yep. So very simple, very clean. Big Easy EMD. Yeah. yeah. We know we want it, too. We'll yeah. throw a little more EMD their way. What's the, most, what's the most earnest money you ever put, put in? Probably 50, 75, somewhere around Hard. there. Yeah. 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 So then on the other side, and selling it, multiple offers as well? I think it was one day, so the guy was super strong. Did we bid two people up? I think we had one offer... At two five, one buyer came in at two five. They kind of messed around a little bit, didn't deposit EMD, fell apart, and then someone else came in right behind them at two five five. So yeah, yeah. there was two two buyers that we talked to. Second buyer who paid two five five didn't know that the first one was falling apart yet and really wanted it. So, uh, was this the biggest deal you've ever done? At the time, it was. Okay, and now it's not even close. <laughs> so what's the biggest deal you guys have done? We're currently in it. All right. We're we're three quarters, three fifths of the way through it right now. Um, we it's in Anthem Country Club. Oddly enough, it's kind of right down the street from this yeah. house. Mm -hmm. It's in a double gate. It's a little more exclusive. Pillar view. Double I mean, gate. What's, I know. What's, what's 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 the story of a you double know, gate, gate inside of a gate? <laughs> it's a I mean, facade. Like, like really, just it's really elitist here. Uh, <laughs> there's probably fifteen houses in this little like. Second gated yeah. cul-de-sac. So it's 7,000 square feet, two-story. We bought it for all in, I think, 2.8. Mm -hmm. So it was... It was a the, short sale. The, it was a short sale, but the purchase price 
was hundreds of thousands over our previous largest sale mm -hmm. sale price. So we're into a bigger class category here. Yeah. So 2.8 purchase. I think the original plan with all in renovations was seven ish. It's close to a million now. Yeah. Again, a little over. <laughs> this is a, our yeah. first true design build. Yeah. So there are things that you just can't figure out in a 14 day due diligence period. Mm -hmm. You have to just put a number and say, we'll try to hit that number. Yeah. And we did that with a, a good number of things. No other way to get around it. So we're approaching a million um, for all of our rehab expenses. And when we finish it and go to list it, we're going to shoot for 5.5. Five. Yeah. So it should be the first house, if we get it, that we clear a million net profit on. Got it. Uh, any nervousness right now with everything that's going on? I mean, of course. I gotta be honest, <laughs> you know, yes, of course. But on this bracket, we've actually seen this bracket, uh, that price point, five million plus, hold up a little bit better in mm -hmm. Vegas than even the, you know, one million to two and a half million range. Totally different like, buyer. Yeah, so, absolutely. I'm actually the least nervous about this house, even outside of like some of the other like 1.5ers yeah. we have going on right now mm -hmm. where it's like, man, these buyers are still trying to beat us up. But mm -hmm. this buyer is probably going to be California, second home. They walk in, they have a ton of money, and they say, I love it, I'll buy it, whatever it takes. What's interesting about that price point too is if I were to say like, what's the best time of year for real estate? Most agents or investors would give me the spring, summer. Mm -hmm. Everyone's in a frenzy and wanting to move. Actually, at this price point, there are more trades, more transactions mm -hmm. in the last quarter of every yeah. year for tax purposes. So being that we're almost done with it. And we know people want to put money somewhere right now. Yeah. yeah. About to list it, hopefully end of November, early December. I know it's a small time frame before officially calendar year ends, but we may be able to pick up somebody who's trying to make that move. That's awesome. And I guess a little bit of you know, up-to-date data. Jess, I don't even think Jesse's caught up on this mm. yet because it happened just yesterday and he was out of town. A sale. Property two doors down, 10,000 square foot or a little bit larger, just listed at 9.95. Perfect. Price. So that would put us, price per square foot-wise, puts it at six and a half. Mm -hmm. so, to, so to expect five and a half, great. Pretty, pretty good deal there. Yeah, awesome. We'll see. Uh, I didn't ask you this question earlier. How did you guys feel when you finally realized that real estate would be your career? Um, I felt kind of a relief, I'll say, because finishing college, everyone's in that mind frame, the age where your parents are saying, what are you doing with your life? Mm -hmm. you know, what are you doing? Every weekend, if you're not searching for a job or you're not active, it's figure it out. And so I bounced around, did a few jobs, landed in tech, and wasn't really happy, knew that I was okay there, but not fulfilled there, not where I wanted to be, something I was excited about. And so as soon as I realized getting up, going to work every day is fun. Doing this gives me a life that I can appreciate and I can enjoy and not really like be a slave to work. Yeah, That was just a revelation. I was like, this is for me. This is for me. Yeah, I think it's also cool to know um, you know, the skills we've learned and gained over the last six years now, six and a half years, um, you know, coming down to the monetary side of it, I know that whatever I do, I know I could make a, at least a couple hundred thousand dollars a year on the low end, mm -hmm. trading real estate, helping buyers and sellers, whatever it is. My 
knowledge base would make me comfortable on a yearly basis forever. Yeah. And I think that's so cool. Like maybe I'm not making millions during the hard times, but I know I'm going to still do well, be able to support my family and, you know, succeed year over year forever. And I think real estate is one of the only ways businesses you can do that in. Yeah. And to be able to educate people on that's pretty cool too. You'll always be valuable. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the peace of mind. You know, uh, definitely. Uh, so, uh, we're talking about buying off the MLS. Yeah. Right? So someone here, I saw, I asked a question here, uh, Alex Perkins. So in talking to realtors, what is that conversation like? Because you, you guys are making offers on everything. There is no filter. Yes. So what is that conversation like when there's no indication, right? Like it doesn't say handyman special. It doesn't say. Sure. You Might know, not. Yeah, absolutely right? not. It doesn't say motivate. Home Those right? are the ones we don't go after as much. Yeah. You know, the ones with the caved-in roofs and the broken windows and the TLCs and handyman Your probability is just lower. Everyone sees those. Yeah. So our, our process is pretty special. So, yeah, so just regular property, just in a, in a good neighborhood, good school, everything else. Yeah. Right? P- potentially more desirable property. Mm-hmm. What is that conversation like? So it's always the same. Mm-hmm. It's very uniform, which you need to implement if you're going to do this on a bigger scale. So that you're not giving one property, one offer, preferential treatment over better chance than the other. But always professional. Lead with professionalism. Even if it's not something you think that they're going to want to hear because it's maybe lower than what they're looking for, that's okay. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is our offer. This is what works for us. Here is a formal offer. Not texting the agent. Will you guys take 350 Like We don't do that. Formal offer fully written, fully executed, with proof of funds, and an email explanation. Now, generally, this is a numbers game. We know we're going to get 97 no's, two maybes, and one yes. Mm -hmm. For all of those no's, those are not swept off the table. Those are not gone. We get a lot of our deals from those no's, and it's because we started with professionalism so that when we revisit them, if they sit on the market another few weeks, our acquisitions team's calling. Hey, what's going on with that? Anything changed? We're still here. A few more weeks. Hey, I saw you went in and out of contract. What happened there? Mm-hmm. We're still here. Again, professional, very diligent, following up. And it's those weeks and months after initial rejection where we don't take it to heart. We don't yeah. walk away. We just keep it in our periphery to revisit it. And I think that's where we end up getting most of our deals done and most of our success comes from. Yeah. It doesn't really sound like it's a script per se, as it is just a process. It's just a process, you know, and the script comes down to just explaining who we are and that, hey, we're investors. These are the numbers that work for us. Mm-hmm. And that's the bottom line is we're a business. We're a business for profit. And here's the numbers that work for us. If they don't work for your clients today, completely understand. But the offer is still on the table. Yeah. yeah. One thing we don't do is hide the game we're playing. Mm-hmm. Right. Listing agents really appreciate that. And that's one thing that our acquisition manager is really good at is creating those relationships, being open and honest about what we're doing. They appreciate that. Even if they're not willing or can't get their sellers on board, at least I'm dealing with somebody who's real with me. Next time when I do have one, maybe I'll deal with you because you were good with me. You were real with me. Yeah. And then are you guys maintaining relationships with these people because with these realtors? Because uh, what we found in the past is that maybe – this property doesn't work, but in two weeks, totally. they're like, hey, I got this other property. Yep, yep absolutely. Yep. That's a line in our email that we send out is, hey, if this property doesn't work, completely understand. Keep us in mind for all yeah. future properties. But our 
as many deals as we've done now, our agent base is huge and our relationship base is huge. We are getting a ton of deals on an annual basis from friendly agents that know we perform. Yeah. And I think that's another big aspect to it is you got to perform. You know, you can't go in, negotiate. These people are fighting to get you that deal accepted from their sellers. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and ask for 10K off, yeah. you know, or then you come the back dreaded and ask, renegotiation. Right, <laughs> ask for an extension. So the process that we have also, once we get a deal accepted with running our numbers and getting contractors in there, it's all a very formal process. And I think as we do deals with people, they only want to work with us again. So what is that process? So uh, we're under contract. I accept your offer. I email it back to you. All right, Landon, we're in contract. Great. Okay. So you being our acquisition manager, you just got this back. Immediately goes off to the next team member, who is our admin, general assistant, office controller. She gets that. Escrow gets that. Title gets that. And we know immediately that, okay, time to bid the property. So project manager is notified. We have this property under contract. She already sets up EMD, so that happens without any without fail, perfectly on time. He gets notified to call a contractor and meet out there within 24 hours. So we've only been in contract for 24 hours, and now we're at the property actually bidding it. Contractors, expectations are shared that we need this bid back pretty quickly. So another 24 to 48 hours, we have full bid in hand, full mm-hmm. renovation, design, concept, everything we need. To then plug in all of our numbers, rehab, figure out the purchase price works, run it through our calculator. This is only three days into a contract accepted. We always ask for at least five to seven days. Yeah. We have a few days to sit on this thing and kind of figure it out, figure mm-hmm. maybe we use this lender over that one. There's no pressure of 12th hour, due diligence right. is up today, 5 p.m., do we buy this or not? And we're not canceling a 12th hour. If mm-hmm. we're going to call them and renegotiate for any reason, and typically we only have to if it's something that wasn't disclosed or they didn't tell us about, like the AC units were stolen or don't work yeah. or pool needs a plaster or something like that, where it's like, hey, you know, we have everything besides the pool plaster in there. That's going to be 10 grand. We're going to need 10 grand off. But we're doing that on day three of our due diligence, not, well, you know, 11.59 p.m. on day seven of due diligence. Yeah. So it's just doing it correctly is is so important. And so now we're making a decision. We have a few days to do that. We can make a comfortable, smart decision. And once we do, now we have a leg up on this project as well because we already have the contractor. We already have the bid. They already know what's to be done, all the materials that are going to be used. And so immediately when we close on this thing, dumpsters drop, demo starts, we're off to the races. Yeah, so the escrow period is just part of just the prep period pretty yeah, much that's it yeah. yeah i like that you said that the tc is always thinking they're just money deposit no matter what and i think that's one of the big things yeah. that a lot of investors miss right like you're just setting a bad taste like when they have to, when the yeah. agent has when the realtor has to chase you for earnest money i know you're already off to a bad start right. absolutely yeah yeah um and then you're talking about that's how you coordinate on the actual listings what are you guys doing right now to build a realtor community that enjoys working with you, that reaches out to you? So what we've found really good success in, um, two things, would be in-person like events. So we've teamed up with some realtors that uh, are, I guess, friends of ours, peers of ours, um, big in the industry, that are also big on growing their own social media presence as well. So hold events, invite a bunch of realtors to that event, cater something. We'll sit there and talk in front of 100, Mm -hmm. 200 people and tell them about we are our business and the importance of 
working with investors on top of being an agent. Yeah. Because every every agent should think about how to work with investors. Yeah. You know, if you're a real estate agent and you don't have investors like us on your side to some extent, you're losing a huge amount of income potential. Yeah. So hosting events is huge. Social media, obviously, we're yeah. pretty big on. We're always advertising our ability to work with agents on social media. And then we also have our brokerage uh, in Vegas, the Boca Group Real Estate, where we have 40 to 45 agents at any given time where we're educating them and letting them know, hey, we're clients of yours too. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be totally off track. Okay. But I'm sure Ryan's in your ear. How come you guys aren't real yet? Oh. <laughs> He's asked us that, definitely. All right. He's told us so many times. I don't think we have an answer other than, you know, focusing on one thing at a time. And that's um, the investment side and the education mm-hmm. side right now in the brokerage. You know, we have a team in place kind of running itself and, the fee structures and everything. I don't know. I don't know why we haven't done it. All right. So after we're just show, on our own game. After the show, we're definitely gonna do a hard close. All right. <laughs> oh, there we go. I knew it was coming. Um, Let's do it. So as far as uh, as one other note, I saw here accountability driven bootcamp formula. What is that? Yes. Okay. So that's the latest uh, endeavor of ours. And basically, in a nutshell, what it is is we've packaged and compartmentalized all of the flipping knowledge, the how to grow a flip team, how to flip successfully, how to do all this from a small scale to a large scale into a 90-day, what we're calling a boot camp, mm-hmm. essentially workshop, where people come in, we have weekly accountability calls, we're covering our chosen curriculum to teach them important points of the business, things to do, things to avoid, and we walk them through how to submit offers, find lenders, work with lenders, yeah. design houses, sell houses. Everything you need to do in a flip business in 90 mm-hmm. days. And it's MLS-based. You know, that's our specialty. Yeah. You know, we're buying 50, 75 properties a year off the MLS. That's what we're going to teach you how to do. Yeah. Um, today on our call, you know, which you're, you know, hospitable to us, letting mm-hmm. us use your Thank room. You. We uh, linked everyone on our call up with two hard money lenders within yeah. the program. So they're leaving that call with the potential of another couple million dollars plus in funds, mm-hmm. yeah. which I think is so cool. That's one thing we, being a part of mentorship groups and, accountability groups and coaching what we've found and experienced the best success with is when people are really transparent with you they're very giving versus come on a call and let's just talk Mm -hmm. we want people to leave our boot camp leave the 90 days and graduate with a way and a source to hire people the right people and a process to do it funding for Mm -hmm. their flips with people that we've worked with so they know they're real they yeah. actually get connected and they get potentially millions of dollars in funding to go out and do deals processes to find those deals ways and to stay organized and to keep track of everything they leave with assets yeah and that's what we wanted people to leave with i felt like Value. i was fast tracked i learned so much in 90 days and i left with a lot in 90 days yeah that's a great point so uh, we're going to jump to a quick commercial break, and then we're going to go to the audience's questions. So don't don't leave. We're going to be going to your questions right now. Let's Love it. it. Hey, Steve Trang here. A lot of you have been asking me for sales management training. I didn't like teaching it, but I found the perfect guy to teach it for us. So, Ren, tell us about it. Steve, we're going to be introducing some really intense fundamentals and philosophy behind the management of sales teams. Uh, have a ton of experience building really high-performance sales teams, 
and really taken a little bit of this and a little bit of that, management practices and theories from all over the place and brought them together to create a unique whole person perspective that drives low performers to high performers and elite caliber salespeople into sales champions. And couldn't be more excited to partner with you on it and the Sales Disruptors brand. For sure, so go to disruptors.com slash success and we'll see you at the next event. All right, so going into the audience's questions, I see um, Kiali, this is from uh, Hawaii. So hopefully talk about first deal, how'd they find it? How'd you lock it up? What'd you say to get on the contract? So if I recall correctly, this is predominantly like the contractor passed it along. You guys still had to go talk to the homeowner. This is our very first deal? Yeah. Yeah, so he identified it um, using, obviously using the MLS, showed it to us, said, mm -hmm. hey, what do you guys think? Like this could be your first one. And then worked with us to figure out where do we offer? Let's send this here. It's listed here. Let's send an offer here. So it wasn't like he went out and did it for us mm -hmm. and then say, okay, guys, just show up here. Like, here's a deal. We were very involved yeah. in all of it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Jake Verga on Instagram is asking your thoughts and stuff too. Now, your guys' model is taking the properties down right? right. Uh, to flip it. Mm -hmm. So do you guys do any subjective to or uh, creative? We really haven't in the past. No, it's something we need to start looking at more. I have a bunch of companies reaching out to our brokerage to list novation deals and you know mm -hmm. do those type of things. Um, we just haven't had to do a, a lot of that type of business in recent mm -hmm. years. You know, I even remember us talking about joining your uh, yeah you know your school mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, and you're like, wait, you guys do so much business off the MLS. Why would you want to go over here? And it's yeah, like start we haven't spending. had to do that, right? Um, because of the MLS. So, no, but we need to learn more about it because I think it is the way of the future. I think that there's a lot of sub two and creative finance to be done right now, and there's mm -hmm. a lot of money to be made in it. So, there is, but does it, is that part of flipping though? Honestly, I, I don't know because now, when I first started, maybe 2016, 2017, even 2018, you asked, are you guys going to get into that? Absolutely. I, we're going to need to. I mm -hmm. felt the overwhelming need to get into another acquisition source. But as we've gone through, and I know we haven't been in this decades, so mm -hmm. we haven't seen full market cycles, but it's been easy for us to get deals off the MLS. It's also been very, very hard for us in the past recent years when inventory was just so low mm -hmm. and everyone was overpaying. That seems to me like one of the hardest times to find deals on the MLS. Knowing we've navigated that and been successful through all of that, makes me feel stronger and more confident with the MLS as our primary acquisition source. Now, will we do something in the future? Definitely. Yeah. But I don't mind leaning on it so heavily now that we've navigated tougher right. waters. And there's a ton of opportunities on it now. There's a ton of opportunities yeah. on it, but I think you know, looking at your guys' business model, the only benefit here, from what I can see, is you can just reduce your hard money costs, right, for six months. Yeah, true. Right. I mean, how long are you guys taking to go in and out on a flip right now? Luxury takes a little longer. Right. So seven to eight months probably yeah. on luxury. Yeah. So seven to eight months of hard money payments. Like, totally. It really seems like that's the right. biggest win there. But even then, like. It also it, opens us up to a new way to also take down more properties for us to keep and own. Right. Well, that's the biggest thing. I was just thinking as far as the flip side. Sure. And then on Instagram, uh, Russian Nico, great name. <laughs> uh, when do you think prices in Vegas are going to plummet? Plummet. Wow. 
We're confident in that, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, prices in Vegas have already come down, what, 15, 20%, which I would consider a plummet, mm-hmm. you know? So that's Has it gone down ha- that much in Vegas? It's gone down quite a bit. How, what are you guys at here? I think we're like 10%. 10%? On the high side. I think it was well, like, let me I don't think we're too far from Let me that. take a step back. Phoenix Metro, it's like 6, 7%. Yeah. Outside in the outskirts, it's like 15, 20%. But okay. I already knew that was going to happen, like, because yeah. I've seen this movie before. So we just didn't play yeah. that far out. Sure. Right? We only focused inside the freeways. Which is smart. And I feel like Vegas is, we have a lot going on in Vegas, right? We got, just got sports teams. We got F1. We got a Super Bowl in a year and a half. We got so That's much. That's going to be crazy for Vegas. Yeah, we got so much. I mean, we were just talking about it before the show started. We're on 19 straight month, straight billion dollar profit months for the strip, mm-hmm. which has never happened before. So, um I don't know if prices are going to plummet much further. We've seen inventory pretty much taper off. It, you know, skyrocketed sure. for the first four four months since May, and then now it's kind of been on a taper. And I just saw someone post today. I haven't seen the stats, but they asked why did inventory just fall again. Mm-hmm. So I want to go look at the stats today at some point because apparently it came down a little bit. So I don't see prices plummeting much more than they already you know have adjusted in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the infrastructure we have being yeah. built out there and, you know, inventory is still low. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, really, you look at it like if you don't have to sell, why in the world would you sell now? Right. No incentive to do that. Yeah. I mean, we just refied. I'm at a 3.2. You're at like a 2.8. And, you know, for me to go buy anything, I, like, no, no one is going to sell their home with a 3.5% or less mortgage rate right. to go assume yeah. a 7.5 plus mortgage rate. Like, no way. Yeah, I saw. I was at an event uh, over the weekend. Uh, Bruce Norris held this event in in uh, Yorba Linda, right, just outside of L.A. And the stat he showed was eighty one percent of the country, sorry, fifty one percent of the country has an interest rate of three point nine percent or less. Well, I've seen that. I've seen that. Right. So if your interest rate is three point nine percent or less, you're for sure not selling. Probably yeah. coupled with a good amount of equity. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Unless you absolutely have to, you're not going to. Right. Um, I, I shared this story. I don't think I said on this podcast. Like I did a, a loan mod, right? So 2009 was not a kind time to be a realtor. So I did a loan mod in my house, and I got it down to a two percent interest rate, right, with a hamp. Um, at two percent, I was just looking at it. I'm gonna stay in this house forever. Yeah. Why are you ever <laughs> gonna get rid of that house? Right. It wasn't right. until I had my third child, like this house I bought as a bachelor, got yeah. married, had my first kid, had my second kid. Once I had the third kid in this little. Three-bedroom house. Like, okay. Go. All right. I guess I need to buy You have something. a need. I have a need. Sure. Right. It was you no longer. You still own it, though? Uh, we sold it uh, okay. in a scenario. It it was uh, it made sense for the, the, the reason why we sold it, but otherwise, I would definitely have kept it. Right. Yeah. Like, my house now, never going to sell it. Like, why would I ever sell that house? I yeah. Three, two, great. Oh. You know, I mean. The cash flow on it. Free. <laughs> free money. Well, it's not free. With inflation the way it is, you're getting paid to keep it. Right. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, the other comment was Reno's already feeling it uh, from the, the prices. Mm-hmm. So, uh, George Harris was asking, what market are you guys in? So, primarily Las Vegas. Recently, we've come out to yeah, uh, expand it down here. Like, get your out backyard. Of here. Yeah. 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 We ventured into Steve's oh. backyard here. So, we've done We're a couple here to flips. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, uh, are you guys putting in really, really low offers, like offensive offers? Nothing's offensive because it works for us. Right. So something that's delivered professionally right. that has a reason behind it should not be taken offensively. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, sometimes it is, but 
No, they're they're usually not fifty percent of their list mm-hmm. price. They're not just egregiously low. You'd also be surprised how many listing agents will tell you to go kick rocks and get extremely offended by your first offer <laughs> and then call you back because you followed up and you were professional yeah. two or three weeks later. You know, it's very surprising the type of phone calls you get. Yeah. Um, so don't take a rejection, you know, for what it's worth. Follow up because we get a lot of deals that way. Yeah. Uh, we had Caleb Pierce on the show last week. Uh, he's in the Carolina market, and he was one of the, at one point, one of the num- I think like the number one REMAX agent in all of like North Carolina. Oh, wow. Um, and the things we're kind of talking about, uh, maybe inappropriate to say, joking about, is like stop targeting motivated homeowners and start targeting motivated realtors. Yep. Because realtors are struggling right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's part of why we constantly do like these events and stuff where you're struggling doing your traditional business. Well, open your mind to working right. with investors. Mm-hmm. Right. And one thing they have to comprehend, which realtors have a hard time comprehending, is we work together mm-hmm. to get deals done. Yeah. yeah. You know, you don't get, don't get mad at me. If you could see where I'm coming from and get on the same page as me, we might be able to make something happen here together. Yeah. Uh, on your deals that you guys are submitting, are you guys uh, uh, offering for the realtor to double-end it, or are you guys like... We're very not on rare. our deals. No. no, very, very rare do we... It's only on where that side is just insistent on mm-hmm. that happening. So, okay, we'll get a deal done. But no. Yeah, yeah and that's just because that's just how our team works. Yeah. I think that if you're a newer investor that doesn't... You don't quite have the acquisitions agent that we have, that's a great option to go get a bunch of deals. True. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. as long as the numbers still jive with them representing both sides, do the deal. That's an awesome way to do it and, yeah. and get agents on your side. Uh, Anthony Russell on YouTube wants to know, how are you guys financing your deals? So it's a mixture. Um, we have a handful of hard money lenders. We have some private money lenders. We have some private lenders that work like hard money lenders. Um, so total mix. Yeah, and I think that just goes into always be raising capital. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd rather have... More than more than we need, and let it sit there on, on a credit. Then find a deal and not be able to have enough money to fund that deal that day. So yeah. always be raising money. Uh, and then a follow up question from Anthony is: How many team members do you have, and what are their duties? Oh, okay. we're, we're just, small. Yeah, yeah it's, we're it's a, a small team. It's a lean operation. So lean and mean. Landon and myself. Uh, we have a full time salaried employee who is our office controller admin. That was our first hire. Kind of our secretaries too. Yeah. She does. She started does, in like escrow paperwork yeah. because that was the first thing that we're like, "Hey, we don't need to do this. Let's hire her out." So escrow was first. She does everything now, and though. then now she developed into like controls our worlds. So that's three people, and then we have a full time project manager, um, who's our eyes and ears in the field, visiting properties, making sure things happen, taking that role off of our shoulders. Um, acquisitions team, so full time acquisitions manager, who's the primary leader of all that. Um, that's pretty much the team. And a, list, a listing agent. Listing agent, yeah. Um, in charge of the brokerage, educating the agents, taking on the listings, actually taking that off our plate too. So, But what is that, six people? Um, so on the listing agent, mm-hmm. what are you paying the listing agent? So it's per on deal. On your flips. Yeah. yeah. So she runs the brokerage, so she gets paid per agent deal in the brokerage. Piece and of she lists all of our flips to enhance her personal brand and her marketing and her just power behind the brand. Sure. Um, and we pay her $1,500 a listing. I know mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you do 50, 75 flips, plus all the agents do a couple hundred transactions, you get a piece of that. Yeah. 
pretty good living. It adds up quick. So I had a, a, a subtle debate this morning with uh, someone else about what to pay a realtor on a referral on a motivated seller. So you guys, I guess you guys aren't really going direct to seller. No, not a whole lot. We're we get not. we get brought deals from wholesalers. Mm-hmm. So this is the situation: is an agent brought you directly to the seller who's mm-hmm. ready to go, and they're looking for a referral fee of some kind. Mm-hmm. Well, it was really more like if you guys were doing direct seller marketing, and then you know this clearly is not a uh, a wholesale deal or a flip deal. This is really more of a traditional listing. Oh, okay. what are you guys doing with that? But you guys aren't really doing direct to seller. No, not really at all. So we were doing direct to seller, you know, trying it out. And in the past, we a have. lot of them were turning into just traditional listings, right. which is great for the brokerage. Um, but we listed them in house for we were charging the seller three percent listing mm-hmm. fees to list them in house, and yeah. our listing agent got paid thirty percent of them, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's in line with what I was expecting. Yeah, but yeah. he was paying more, and I was like, "Dude, you're overpaying your realtor." And for our acquisitions agent, the guy who finds all of our deals for us. We split commissions 50-50 with him. So yeah. when we close a deal, if it's 3%, he gets one and a half, and then he credits one and a half towards our closing costs. Yeah. Cool. I uh, love how he's so nonchalant about that. People are usually like, what? You're, you're taking half? How does, why does he want to work with you if you're taking <laughs> half? Volume. Exactly. Volume. Exactly. It. Yeah. You get it. Well, I've been on this, like, I've been on both sides, right? Because I've been the realtor. Yeah. I've ran the realtor team. I've ran the brokerage. Um, and I was that guy that was submitting all those crappy offers every single day, yeah. right? Like my, one of my first, uh, you know, like roles or gigs or, you know, I went to the RIA. I was super excited. I got this investor, right? And he wants to buy a lot of properties. This is so exciting. I get to work for him now. I get to work for him now. Yeah. Right. And I was writing, you know, 60 offers a day and just getting Dang. rejection, rejection, <laughs> rejection. It's like, this sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't think I did more than like three or four weeks of that. It's like, okay, this is clearly not a good use of my time. I'm gonna go back to prospecting, uh, but yeah. So I've sat in every single one of those seats. But yeah, like I said, you know, running a team. If I spent the money marketing, right, I got the VAs to cold call all the expired listings, and then you went to the appointment to go secure the listing, and you bring it back to the team, and you're done, right? Oh, I take that back. You have to negotiate the offers. Okay. But the administrative team takes care of TC escrow and everything else. Like thirty percent was just the norm. That's what that's what we paid ours was thirty percent. Yeah, and this opportunity is falling into your lap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but like I said, I, I had a subtle debate this morning with someone else. They were they like fifty fifty. They said fifty fifty. I was like, ah. Too much. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. No. Um, especially with how much we spend on marketing. All right. Um, so operating your business in a luxury space, what is your total gross profit margin to operate your business? This is Lotto on YouTube. Gross profit margin to operate our business. I don't know if I've so gross profit, right? thought so, about how to quantify this. So you take the revenue and you get rid of all the, um, like after, you know, the cost of the, the property and the commissions, right? Like what kind of margins are you looking at after paying commissions? So we have a margin for our desired investment, what's a green light for us. Mm-hmm. But I'd say... That's in relation to also making lots of profits. So just running the business, that's obviously a lot smaller margin. Mm-hmm. But we're seeking ten to twelve percent cash on cash returns on every single project. Okay. So now, on a property, ten to twelve percent. Yes. So you take all that profit, do you know like after paying and because you have a pretty small team, so your overhead doesn't sound like it's, it's very high. Very small. It's it's and you don't low. and you don't really have marketing. No marketing. None. It's just social media. Right. Yeah. We pay our project manager thirty five hundred dollars per property to manage it. 
as an yeah. expense to the deal. We pay the listing. Which agent. comes out of the 10, 12%. Comes out of bucks, so we have a $5,000 overhead on each deal pretty much is what it is. So, I mean, it sounds like it's pretty close to near a hundred percent. Right. It's right. yeah. I'd say it's 90%. When you and remove actually, all the marketing that like someone like yourself does, you just wouldn't, you'd be so surprised at just how low you could get your costs. Well, so we were talking about, right, you, you and I, uh, the three of us, had a conversation about uh, potentially working with me as a mentor, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was the exact conversation we had. I was like, why are you talking to me? Yeah. Right. Right. You, and that, that was a specific <laughs> question. And then I think from there, we're like, you know what? He, he's right. Yeah. He's yeah. like, yeah. you want to go <laughs> spend a bunch of money? Why? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just sharing that, right? Because the people that are watching, like, you know, Steve's might be this, like, this greedy guru trying Steve's to close everyone. Steve's a real one for that. Yeah. I'm going to give yeah. him that. <laughs> I, I honestly think we took that phone call. And that's what I was just bringing up a couple minutes ago. Like, we were going to join. And you told us, like, wait. You spend no money with what you're doing yeah. and make millions doing it. Yeah. Why are you calling me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the exact thing is like we didn't decide to start that way. Well, one, we knew the MLS only because I was a realtor for two years, and that's yeah. the only thing we knew. We didn't know any other way to get deals. But we also didn't have a, a lot of money when we started. We weren't given money to start. Mm -hmm. We started from scratch. Um, so for those people who don't have a lot of money to spend on direct to seller and compete against True. the big dogs like you, yeah, MLS is a great way to do it. It's, you know, our, our P&L, I think we're at like 85% profit margin. Yeah. Like that. Like we run such a lean business. Yeah. And that makes so total lean. sense to me. So like you got you guys, right? We had Caleb Pearson last week with Zoom Offers Now, right? That's his thing. He makes offers off the MLS. Mm -hmm. I got Ryan Zolan who yep. was here just a couple months ago. Same thing, right? Like it, it's a super profitable model. May not be easy, but it's a super profitable model because yeah. you don't have a lot of uh, marketing expense per se. You just have a lot of sweat equity. Right. Exactly. Well, and, and it's not labor intensive. Like to mm -hmm. run a direct-to-seller marketing company, That's... you need humans too. Yeah. We don't need very many. We have one guy submitting 20 to 25 offers five to six days a week. Mm -hmm. You know, out of the three, 400 a month he's submitting, we're buying eight to 10 of those. Yep. You know, and that's wholesaling a couple of them, buying a couple of them. That's our 70, 75 deals a year. Yeah. That's just what it breaks down to. With that amount of, even lower, but with a decent amount of volume, you're also able to structure it where the core people, the five, six we mentioned, only one or two of those is on salary. Everybody else is an expense to every deal. So yeah. that's not really right. overhead like to us. Acquisitions gets paid commission at closing. Doesn't yeah. cost us a dollar. Project management, Project listing management agent. gets paid profits at the end of the deal. Listing agent gets paid at closing out of profits. Yeah. The only person we really have on salary is our controller. Yep. Uh, so, follow-up question from Alado is: What mistake do you commonly see made uh, from those trying to do what you're doing in a luxury space? Not knowing the numbers on the GC side, I think that project management and construction is heavily underestimated in terms of these luxury deals and what it takes, and no, you know, um, things add up quick. Like we said, I mean, even us on this big deal, like we had enough of a buffer. But we only went 300K over budget. We're 300K over, you know, <laughs> and we're experts at 3% over. <laughs> this is what we do, and we're 300K over. I mean, that's just an anomaly of a deal because it's total design build. But, um, you know, not having utilities in there on a luxury deal where they're a couple thousand dollars a month and seven months in, it's twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in utilities added up, insurances, you know, those costs that people forget to hold mm -hmm. for us in Vegas, HOAs add up very fast. Yeah. So it's really Especially just having when you have your, a double gate. Right. And double oh, yeah. Gate. 
it's having those numbers dialed in and the construction as tight as possible. The construction is number one. I think they, a big thing I see is they try to apply what they evaluate a property with to a larger property. So they just multiply what they do by more square footage, mm-hmm. but they don't understand that everything from your countertops to your door handles are going to cost more. Everything costs more and yeah. there's more of it. Yeah. So that's just so easy to overlook. Yeah, that's one of the things that has always frightened me, right? Like, I already don't have a great eye for flipping. It just it is what it is. I just don't have an eye for Accepted it. Accepted it. <laughs> <laughs> Going to luxury scares the crap out of me, right? Because every detail matters. Totally. And, you know, like, you see some of these, like, really bad flippers on a lower-end home. Like, you know, they'll spend money here, spend money there, and they'll skimp on maybe, like, the master bathroom, right? Yeah. And, like, you completely shot yourself in the foot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's only a handful of details on luxury that you can just skimp out on and it crushes the whole deal. I'd say those are actually where you really stand out. Yeah. Yeah, they can crush the whole deal. They can make or break the deal. Yeah. And if you do pay attention to those, if you're good at those, then you start I try to always think of my experience as a buyer walking through this flip for the first time. Mm-hmm. How many times, how many corners am I going to turn and how many times am I going to say to myself, "Oh, look at that." Mm-hmm. Oh, what did they Oh, look what they did there. Yeah. The more I can get someone to say that, I guarantee they're saying it more in my house than they are in any other house that they've walked through. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's just one of those things that you have to pay attention. Like, you cannot mm-hmm. overlook this. Construction is huge. Um, another question from Lotto is, what market that you're currently not operating in would you move into if you had to? Oh, yeah. We, we, we want to go to Florida so bad. We've wanted to expand a lot. I mean, now that they just went through a hurricane, it kind of yeah. feels a little... Yeah. Yeah, G. But yeah, I love Florida. We've lo- our parents have loved going to Florida forever. Um going there our, our whole lives. So Florida would be great. Um, you know, Scottsdale thinks it's an incredible market to Yeah. To Which be we in. started. No matter what happens with it. I think yeah. Scottsdale is just such a great market. I mean, they're one of the strongest cities, right, during this uh downturn. Like they're doing totally fine. Scottsdale? Mm-hmm. Good. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Love being here. Um, yeah, I'd say South Florida would probably be number one on our list. Yeah. Um Texas has always been pretty strong, um, so I like that. Another one that's kind of low-key for us that we don't talk about a lot but I think would be phenomenal, I think they're hurting a little bit right now, but Salt Lake. Yeah. Salt Utah, Lake sure. in yeah. Utah, I think, is just explosive all around with their communities. So St. George, I know, has blown up quite a bit. Oh, yeah. But Salt Lake would be great, too. And that seems easy, too. It's like a two-hour drive for yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah, Salt Lake is is uh, it's kind of like us, mm-hmm. kind of like Boise. It's like just like we all kind of – and Vegas, right? Like – you look at, you know, so Phoenix, Vegas, Las- Salt Lake, and then Boise. It's just, yeah, yeah, that longitude, something, <laughs> just, similarities. We all experience this volatility together. Um, other question is, if you couldn't use the MLS, then what marketing channel would you use? These are great questions, guys. Awesome. Yeah, they are so good thank questions. you. Thank you all for doing this. Um, if we couldn't use the MLS, what marketing channels would we use? Um, we, would, we would jump into a program as fast as possible and educate ourselves on Direct to seller, you know, hiring VAs. We know we know how to get real estate transactions done. We know how to have those conversations. So if I were to hire, you know, a couple of VAs and get a couple of salesmen in the office, I'm very confident that we are fully capable of building a direct to seller team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just go, I would go VA route, cold call route, and just hit the numbers game because I think real estate revolves around a numbers game. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're doing right now. We've dialed back marketing. You know, we got punched in the gut pretty hard, right, mm-hmm. in the summer. 
And so we've uh, gone back to cold calling, and thank goodness, like that yeah. is working for us. That's a very low cost yeah. marketing channel. We've seen a ton of people within like our networks who saw Ryan doing TV out in Vegas, and they all went and filmed a bunch of TV commercials, and they're no longer doing TV commercials. And then they, you know, so they're trying all these, you know, new age things where it's like, mm-hmm. I would cold call. I would hire cold callers and focus on talking to as many people on a daily basis as possible. Yep. And we are working on something where maybe we'll be uh, training some other people's cold callers. So Awesome. See where that goes. Uh, On Facebook, at D. McCall, emailing to the seller's agent, can you share some highlights of that email? Like, what are those things you're highlighting? Yeah, sure. Okay, so so with our offer, right? Mm -hmm. This is what we're accompanying our offer. So two of the biggest things I can say, don't overlook them. I know it's simple, but... Don't text, call, send an email, text body of your offer. Send a full executed offer, an actual RPA with a proof of funds. On top of that, inside the email body, it's written to give a brief. This isn't a novel. This is not expecting them to read. This is crazy. So a small paragraph about who we are, what we do, little Vegas history, a little bit about us. And then the offer is summarized in the middle of that template. Mm-hmm. So the important things that an agent or a seller is going to scroll through the 10, 12 pages to find are right there. So your due diligence time, your COE, uh, the offer price, the EMD amount, some of those things that they're going to look for, again, convenient right there. Mm-hmm. I think people have had a good response to that. I like receiving these. I've heard that before. Um, you guys obviously present yourselves really well. Heard that a lot. I think those things go a long way. And at the end of it, I think, which we mentioned before, we asked for, yeah. hey, if this one doesn't work, we completely understand. If you have any other deals, send them our way. Thanks. Um, have you guys considered including a list of properties you guys have purchased in your offer? That's a good, like a track record sort of thing. Um, we kind of say the number, like we've flipped you yeah. know, 300 plus properties here in Vegas is in that little bio paragraph. Mm-hmm. But I think a good thing to do would, would either to make like a landing page or a quick thing to check out some of our projects and actually see the, because visually they're better than telling. I can can show you a picture that's way better than I could ever tell you about it. So So what we've done in the past is we would include an MLS printout, right? So with our Flux MLS, we can show you like just a search of all the properties we've bought. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we just include that because then it's like a row and there's like, okay, that's a credible source because I'm a realtor. Sure. So from the MLS. Yeah, we could do that on ours as well. Pull all of our recent buys. Um. And then another question is, uh, do you have any thoughts to share on common characteristics or traits you see from sellers willing to sell to an investor? So I guess I don't, because he doesn't really deal with the sellers. We don't. Um, Indirectly. You know, when we talk about the MLS, we explain that, like, this is, you know, direct-to-seller marketing, you're just trying to find some a motivated seller, some motivation, and then you dive in deeper. For someone to list their home on the MLS, they're a motivated seller. Mm-hmm. They've raised their hand. They said, I want to sell. They've signed contracts with an agent. They allowed a photographer to come into their home, take photos, and put it on the market. Pretty motivated person. Mm-hmm. So the motivation's there. Um, you never know. We tell, we, we tell students in our program this all the time. You can't let the agent get it in the way of the seller's motivation either. You never know what a seller mo- seller's motivation is going to be. So our acquisitions manager asked some questions. What's most important to them? Sometimes a five-day cash close scares the crap out of a 75-year-old woman who's that. on her own mm-hmm. and yeah. needs 60 days to sell. 
Um, so asking those questions is super important because with us as investors, that's another way to get a deal done. It's not always price. Mm -hmm. It could be like, oh, your client needs 60 days to move out. We can close next week and give her free rent. We can close in 60 days. We can pay for moving. We can do anything just like you do in direct to seller mm -hmm. to make this deal work. Mm -hmm. um, it's asking those right questions. One reason that we always, just to backtrack a little bit, always submit formal offers executed as well because you know as well as i do as an agent you have to present all offers mm -hmm. if i text you as a listing agent hey do you think your seller will take 750 i'm deleting that text mm -hmm. but if i email you an executed <laughs> offer and you as an agent goes nope they don't want to take it okay can you send me the executed rejection please mm -hmm. because ah, it shows proof hate you guys you have to <laughs> even when they sit down yeah, and let's say they have <laughs> five offers just hate you guys. Know. The, li the listing <laughs> agent is to. more scared to present that offer mm -hmm. than the seller. You don't know what the seller is going to do. But yeah. this person in the middle might be just petrified of sitting mm -hmm. with that person and showing them an offer. I would yeah. say another element that's really, really important not to overlook. It's nothing that's written. It's a behavior. It's how often that listing agent's going to hear from us. Mm -hmm. Just to check in. Even sharing some market something that they might not know about. Hey, I saw another one was listed down the street from you. Is is that affecting you? Is that good yeah. for you? Whatever. Just those points of contact over maybe a few months. When they sit down, they have four offers to look at. Here's this guy. He texted me 350, and I finally got him to send me an offer. It's half written. Mm -hmm. Here's one. Yeah, it's low, but who's it from? I don't really know. Here's this one. I've talked to these guys 17 times in the last five weeks. Yeah, I know everything. Here's a bio about them. Mm -hmm. right. You immediately stand out. So that presenting, it goes a long way. Well, the other thing you said too, you know, is making sure the realtor doesn't get in the way. Yeah, and you probably have some nightmare stories about this. Of course, you know, yeah. you, you they cuss you out. They tell you no. They don't. You know, there's no way in hell my seller's going to take this deal. You, you, I don't even know where you come up with these numbers. I'll you make investors. sure you never buy a home in this neighborhood ever again. <laughs> right. You know, they just <laughs> tomorrow we close on another one. <laughs> and it's not because of the offer, it's because they're scared to present it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you asking the right questions and you know, as stickler as it is to say, Hey, my broker and you know, I tell my acquisitions agent all the time, put it on me, hey, my broker requires a sign rejection for our file. You know, we have to show that you presented all offers. Yeah, my broker sorry, I'm doing the right it. thing. <laughs> you know, and you never know what a sell seller will do. You honestly don't. Yeah, we're hated. We're hated. Um, Steve hates us. <laughs> I just hate that part. Yeah. Because every time someone's like, you know, show me it's the annoying. sign rejection. Like, no. Right. <laughs> no, I'm not showing you the sign rejection. <laughs> but it's not because I don't present it. Is that if I had to submit 16 it's rejections, annoying. it's a pain in my butt. It is annoying. Thing. And every time someone's like, my broker requires, like, I don't care. I was typically having him call me. <laughs> <laughs> um, another question is, what kind of confidence? Uh, level do you have that your MLS buy model is going to be transferable to other markets, particularly in lower price point areas, say under 300,000? So what I like, and, and one of the reasons I'll give as an example is the, the one of the reasons we love Florida is because it's not exactly the same properties. Like if you were to take Vegas and Phoenix, they're really, really similar. The construction styles, age of the properties, the mix of you have HOAs, you have non-HOAs, all that just feels very similar. When you go out to Florida, it might not look like that at first, but it's actually a good mix of that also. Mm -hmm. It's just a totally different layout. 
but you have low price point communities that are in non-HOA and like those areas are very homogenous. Like half of Vegas is just like that. But then 10, 20 minutes away, you have golf course, you have gated country club, you have like nice stuff. And so I really see that we're, I think we're going to have good success in markets that have the same like asset mix that we're familiar with. Yeah. And I think when you have really desirable areas that attract a certain type of buyer mixed in with those other ones, there's just creates the right opportunity for us. And Dee was asking, was there a cost or what is the cost for the boot camp? Oh, so the boot camp, um, which I would love if we could, you know, send a link and people, there's a ton of information on our landing page, yeah. our site. You can um, even set up a free call with us or the team to find out more. Ton of information, probably answer all your questions there. Um, but the boot camp is 5,000 per membership. And we're doing uh, different discounted rates and things for um, people if they do want to sign up. So definitely reach out to us. Yeah. It's an unre unreasonably low cost. You're screwing it up for all the rest of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's going to go up. I know it's going to go up. <laughs> no, yeah. It, it's definitely going to go up. I mean, there's so much value provided. I mean, people, 80 something people left today with multi million you know, in funding. That's, yeah. that's huge. So, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, from Chris Vasquez, what's up, Chris? Hey. What's up, Chris? Um, so he says, welcome to Scottsdale flipping. And, uh, how are you seeing interest rates impact your exits on the luxury side? My Scottsdale banger. Yeah. So, I mean, just to break down where we've been the last five months, we bought what? $23 million worth of properties in April and May. Mm -hmm. We're down to our final six. So, you know, we're still standing. Everything's been good. Um, we have a couple that are sitting, so we just, you know, liquidate those so we could recoup our capital and buy more. I think that this is a market that presents a lot of opportunity, but we talk to high level people that have been through the cycles mm -hmm. and I'm sure you would say the same thing. It's, I wish we would have known and done more business in the downturn mm -hmm. than we did because of how much money can be made. So yeah. I think we're, this is kind of that time where we all wait for. Oh man, I want to be. I want to have so much cash ready for the downturn. Yeah, sure. It's like, okay, well, here it is. Let's go. You know. Yeah. So it's um, moving deals. They're taking a little bit longer. We're liquidating some at, you know, just above break evens. We've had a couple break evens. Just what it's going to be. But game is to get our capital back to buy more. What I find with people that are faced with the current environment of I'm going to have to buy a house, let's say, but I'm going to have to take whatever interest rate I can get right now is obviously not favorable. They're also becoming a lot pickier. So if I have to buy a house right now, I want it to be the very best house that I could possibly buy, whatever I'm approved up to, absolute dime of the bunch. Mm -hmm. And so for us, where a lot of people get tighter with their expenses because things get more expensive, they start doing less to the homes, rehabbing less, That's pulling that mistake. back, big, big mistake. mistake. We double down. We go a little bit extra. We try to put an extra bit of rehab to really shine in the house because we know people are becoming more, like pickier. Yeah. So that's helped us. Uh, so going back to some of these other questions, what does your business look like right now versus when you guys first started? Oh, it's night and day. I mean, the core, the core is the same, mm -hmm. but it's it's a lot more enjoyable, I think. Because when it's all on you, there's just no escaping. There's always the next thing to do. As soon as you're done with that, well, there's a pile back here that you have to get to. And 
you don't experience the time freedom, some of the luxuries that come with owning and operating a real estate company. But as you grow, which we've done over the past few years, and you hire, you delegate, and you just generally get better at what you're doing, you start to kind of enjoy watching it all happen yeah. and seeing it in yeah. front of you. I think it's become a little bit more challenging, though, you know, in aspects where it's like we're doing so much at one time still right now, even if it's not like, yes, not in the actual rehab of a particular property, but we're trying to do more than we've ever done. We're raising more capital than we've ever done. We're doing more starting other businesses and more businesses so it's like it's we're challenging ourselves so much every day right now to try to succeed in multiple different you know facets of the business um which has been fun i think it's enjoyable to do that and you know have some shortcomings that we got to work through and and you know fail forward with um which is kind of what we've experienced the last five or six months you know it's like man you know we had a lot of our own capital in a lot of homes Mm -hmm got it back thankfully uh, you know a majority of it so it's like okay not do that again <laughs> let's, let's not do that again let's use more pe- other people's money and raise more capital so that we could keep our own and go buy rentals or airbnbs or whatever we want to do with it so i think it's, it's actually become a little bit more challenging since mm-hmm. when we first started but in a growth way yeah, yeah. we keep moving the goalposts yeah well, that's, I think that's like the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That's like the mantra, uh, mantra right, of entrepreneurs. I think it's, we're always moving the goalposts yeah. back. Uh, what freedom does real estate afford you guys? So one <laughs> thing I love is is being able to not report to necessarily anyone. Mm-hmm. And that may seem like a small thing in the, the reality of it. Like, what do you mean? You could own million-dollar homes, or you could you know, obviously make millions of dollars in profits, or have time freedom. Like, oh, those are all good things too. But I just, like I said before, what were the few things you did before you got into real estate? Mm -hmm. They just ate away at me. And it's something that I just knew wholeheartedly. I got to get out of this. I cannot have this boss that is making sure I'm in there at 9 a.m. Like, I just, I hate it. So I, that's my favorite thing. I'm with it. I think I mean, I'm in the same boat. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, being able to spend, you know, vacation. We go on vacations quite a bit with our families. Oh, yeah. So traveling quite a bit. Um, you know, being able to golf on Fridays has been enjoyable this last year that we started picking up golf. So, yeah, just having the freedom of time. You know, we, we work a lot, though. You know, we're, we're not we're not slackers by any means. I mean, you can find us in the office pretty much. We report to each other, so I, I don't yeah, necessarily agree. And with it's it. cool because hundred percent. Because if I'm not there, where you at? If he's not there, where you at? So it's like. But also with, with that though, it's like, oh well, I'm I'm at this property this morning. I'm not sure. in the okay. Well, I've decided I kind of want to move around this week. Yeah. We can do that. Yeah. You guys charging five k for golf yet? Not yet. No. <laughs> All we're charging is four. <laughs> no, we we should start charging though. I'm not good enough. I've actually declined my <laughs> golf game these last like two months, so yeah. I got to get back to to put somebody through that. They honestly, we should pay them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your guys' why? Uh, that's great. So I'll start. My yeah. why, my entire life, has been kind of where we started this conversation today, which is the scrutiny of that silver spoon, right? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't, we didn't come from the gutter, so I don't have a why of like, oh, I got to take care of my mom or anything <clears> like that. You know, although I would like to, um, we just didn't come from that type of background. So it's the challenge of 
overcoming those naysayers or mm-hmm. those, you know, the scrutiny of that silver spoon mentality from people to show them, look, no, we work hard. Like I'm a grinder. I'm mm-hmm. not spoiled. I wasn't given everything I have in my life. Like I'm willing to work for it. So that's been the why up to this point. Now I'm kind of over that mentality mm-hmm. and I have a little boy coming in January. So a new why. Yeah, that's a yeah, definitely. So I'm excited. Big why. Yeah. yeah, we got a chip on your shoulder. Yeah, I like it for sure. Uh, I think for me, one thing I've I've always experienced and seen, whether I recognized it or not, was something from my dad. Where, again, racks to riches, made his way through the world, and what that gave him, where he has such a deep level of confidence in himself, and he doesn't need it from anyone else. I know that. His perseverance, his accomplishments have given him that. So whether you start at zero or whether you start maybe with some good cards in your hand, being able to take that, build on it, create something, and instill that confidence in yourself, it's really the only way to get it. But once you have it, it's something that's just irreplaceable. So I've always seen that in him, admired that in him, and I figured out, okay, well, I have to go do something like that in Mm -hmm. order to get it for myself. Yeah. That's profound. Uh, what is your biggest struggle today? Biggest one today. Let's just pull out the list. <laughs> now, Personally or business-wise? We always have both. We're always in struggle. <laughs> Again, we're, we're always moving that goalpost. So we're always from a what do we need to do to get to where we want to yeah. be mentality. Um, I think right now, just to be frank, like we mentioned, we bought a ton of properties. We haven't been investing for decades to navigate full market cycles, whatever we're going through right now. So the biggest struggle, which we're almost out of, I'll say, has been over the summer, over the fall months of learning what happens and how quickly things can happen, Mm -hmm. being creative, um, hustling to get things done, reducing the risk, get it off the books, being nimble, being flexible. Mm -hmm. Um, and learning how to do that when the time really is it's necessary to do. That's been one of the big struggles yeah. through this year, I'll say. Yeah, I agree. I think in that kind of goes into like being stagnant has been a struggle. You know, feeling like, okay, mm-hmm. can we buy? Like, yeah, we want to buy. We know we want to buy. You know, we want to buy more and get back to 25 properties at a time as soon as possible. And it's a struggle mentally not being able to quite get there yet. We want to do that only if they make money. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm feeling confident in it yet. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, I, I, I'm the go, go, go personality. Mm-hmm. So stepping back, like I have come to Jesus with the fact that like, okay, if we have a 25-year career and we have six months where it's like up in the air, stagnancy or, you know, shifting and adapting, so what? That's just yeah. the name of the game. Like, this is never going to be sunshine and rainbows all the way through. So Yeah, this is something I've been talking about. I don't hear a lot of other people talking about it, so I don't know. Um, for me, I look at it. Like you say, you know, we're going to be doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's really not important to make a lot of money right now. Like, for me, it's really more important to make sure we make it through this. You stay yeah. in the game. Right. Yeah. Right? Like, the worst thing that happened is game over. Yeah. yeah. Right? But I don't hear a lot of other people talking about it. Everyone else talking about double down, marketing, crush it, this and that. It's like, ah. I don't we want to survive another day <laughs> right yeah I'm 43 I don't want to start over <laughs> um how will you guys know when you're successful I think we already are um yeah. I don't I don't think that that is a point that you arrive at mm-hmm. it's a feeling that only really you can give yourself mm-hmm. so I think I learned a long time ago to just give that to yourself L- yeah. look around like we're living a great life you're successful you are 
you know, nice, great families, great people in our lives, you know, live well, successful for sure. I agree. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, you know, even though we're always moving the goalposts on what we want to achieve, the mm -hmm. feeling of success is already there. Perspective really helps. Go travel yeah. a little bit and you'll feel successful. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I've learned that as well. Yeah. Uh, what is your superpower? What is my superpower? Um, geez, I don't know. Um, maybe the lack of fear sometimes and, you know, perseverance in terms of like, the maverick mentality the maverick like ultra maverick mentality where like they'll say something and be like let's just do it it's easy mm -hmm. like this is gonna be easy like so what? let's just do it and i'm like let's what money are we gonna do that with like <laughs> i'm just throwing things you know shit against the wall the entire time mm -hmm. trying to get things to stick and jesse with his personality is like yeah let me go try to figure out how to get it to stick but i don't stop throwing yeah you know and that's just what i do is constant reach out constant Throwing things without even thinking, like, oh, it's gonna be hard to do. It's like, no, yeah. it's gonna be easy. Let's do it. Constantly stretching the bubble. Yeah, but it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I am great at understanding people, um, reading people, and getting people to like me, and mm -hmm. wanting to play whatever game I want to play. Yeah, whether I have a positive motive or mm -hmm. a secret negative one, mm -hmm. uh, I don't let that show. But mm -hmm. I can definitely get anyone to cooperate yeah so uh you're in vegas are have you applied that in poker i haven't on purpose um i do have a poker lineage my my grandfather was a professional poker player mm -hmm. uh, i've never had good luck with it yeah. so whenever i sit at a table with cards in my hand i lose money so i learned really early on to stop doing that yeah, yeah i was sharing with you guys uh, before the we went on air it's like i'm gonna be going there next month it's like like where do you want to stay I was like i don't care i'm gonna be at the poker table it doesn't matter. What There's room. poker tables everywhere. <laughs> what room do you like the most, though? Uh, well, for me, I, uh, since Aria has the best room, it's easier to stay at Aria. Yeah, I love Aria. Right? But for me, really, Beautiful. I don't care. I'll just go to wherever the game's at. Yeah. And you're right in the middle in Aria City Center. Yeah. Bellagio's there. Caesar's not far. You can get around, too. Dude, the Strip's easier to play poker on than the local casinos because you oh, get yeah. the people that come to the local casinos, and they just take down entire tables. The Strip is like newbie drunk people that just want yeah, to play great. poker yeah my favorite i don't know if it's still like this my favorite was planet hollywood oh really like, right because they literally had the poker room right outside the club yeah so you get all these drunk guys <laughs> who are frustrated because they didn't get any action and now they gotta go to the poker table to flex and so they're drunk and they're flexing yeah and the you just take best, them betting irrationally <laughs> it's the best game love it um what is the the greatest lesson that you've learned um, I will say I've learned one recently. So it was introduced to me through one of the members of the Maui mastermind mm -hmm. that we just attended like a month ago, a month or two ago. And he introduced me. It's actually a book, an audio book. Um, but it's a, a round of philosophy. It's called the gap in the game. Mm -hmm. Um, amazing. So it kind of speaks to the question, like, are, do you consider yourself successful? Like, mm -hmm. are you happy with what you've done? It's just a way to perceive yourself completely flipped on its head. Yeah. So you'll notice once you start reading it, looking into it, that everyone, and you included, are doing this this way. You're looking at your success and positioning yourself in a certain way, basically all looking into the future. And so it flips that on its head and try to derive your happiness and your success from what you've already done. Mm -hmm. And once you flip that around, it's just life-changing yeah it's a uh, um haven't read the book 
but I got a chance to go through strategic coach, right, with Dan Sullivan, mm-hmm. who's the principal. Yeah. Came from. So yeah, if you like that, I highly recommend it's going great. through strategic coach. There was lots of great entrepreneurial lessons in there, and that was one of the uh, big lessons I learned there. And it's such yeah. a simple concept. I know. But once you learn it, it's like, oh, yeah, like stop chasing and start stop focusing where you're short. Yeah. And start focusing on successes you've had. It's not even just business. Yeah. What was so like revolutionary was how many aspects of your life you do this in. Mm-hmm. How many times a day you find yourself in the gap, mm-hmm. as, as he'll call it. Yeah. And that was just crazy to me, but I love it. Yeah. How about yourself? Biggest lesson I've learned. Um, you know, I'm I'm a pretty impatient person. You know, just naturally with my personality. Yeah, just with my personality. Um, So I don't know if this goes into the gap in the gain explanation, but yeah, being more present is just like I have to be more present Mm -hmm. because I'm always, I either beat myself up because I'm not where I want to be yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I living more present is just like my biggest goal right now, especially with the with the sun coming in. You know, January pretty hot here, pretty quick. I got to just educate myself on that a little bit more and, and and do it more because when I think about it, I feel so much better. What are you doing to be more present? Um, you know, I'm just thinking more on a daily basis, like every morning, like in the shower, I'm sitting there for five minutes, like thinking about my day. You know, mm-hmm. I'm back in the gym a lot harder, thinking about my body and my health, trying to be the best person I could possibly be on a daily basis. Again, you know, I let that go a little bit um, in recent months. And just getting back there, I think, is huge. Yeah. For me, the, the greatest thing that helped me with this was uh, there's a program by Darren Hardy's Insane Productivity, right? And it just gives you all these things you, you got to do, right, to kind of set boundaries mm-hmm. uh, so that you can be present. Because it's hard. I'm the same way, right? It's like, hard. Uh, not, not so much these days. It still happens from time to time. But an early part of my career, my wife's like, where are you? Like, you're there, but you're clearly not yeah. here. Yeah. Like, I mean, she'll talk to me and I... <laughs> Ask me a question three times, but hello. I'm like, wait, what? You know, yeah. like I'm thinking through like my entire day. Right. What just happened? And it's like, no, I gotta, I gotta be here. Yeah, intentionality yeah. plays a big part of yeah. that. You can't do that unless you set an intention to do it. All right. So I highly recommend if you haven't checked that one out. Yeah, I have to. Uh, which failure did did you learn the most from? Which failure? Mm-hmm. Um, I think just this last um, couple months, which I don't consider a failure. I consider it more of a lesson learned, like you said. Um, we put way too much of our own capital into our business and we knew better, you know, and it's just that that shiny object syndrome where our mentality was like, okay, we know something's going to happen, but we have one last group of homes. Like mm-hmm. it's always one more time, you know, and you don't know when the, when the, shift the music is, stops, the music stops, <laughs> like it was one more time and boom, music stops. So, um, Raising more capital, using more people's money, I think is the biggest failure I've learned from so far where it's like we talk about, and I guess it's more so we talk about it, but didn't do it. Mm -hmm. It's when we know we have to do something, we need to do it. We need to execute from here on out. Yeah, well, I I made that same exact mistake, right? Mm -hmm. And because I, we knew something was going to happen, but it was so freaking abrupt. I know. Yeah. Uh, And then, you know, going back, do you you snowboard? These are so good. Do you snowboard or ski? Snowboard. Right. Like what, when do people get hurt? I know. <laughs> Last run of the day. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Cash that edge, yeah. Sun's down. One more run. Yeah. Right? You're One exhausted, more, right. and it's just yeah. when you so, wipe out. Yeah, absolutely. That was, um, that was a pretty big learning experience. Yeah. 
Uh, and there's something I said to my wife, right? Like, you know, fortunately, you know, we're young enough that we will be prepared for the next cycle, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's still time. Greatest lesson. Uh, what failure do you learn uh, the most from? So we learned an early lesson um, with, as we were bringing on people, um, we brought on a new contractor. And so it initially showed itself in a way of, you brought on somebody you didn't vet out mm-hmm. and they took advantage of you. And so learned, that was just a singular version of it. But now that's compounded into every person we bring into the fold, everyone we want to work with uh, gets vetted out in so many different ways now. I'm not so much of uh, drinking the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. If, if you tell me you're great, like, okay, then let's work together. You're great. <laughs> I'm going to check it out. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to give you a PI test. I'm mm-hmm. also going to have like two or three interviews, see how you do with just us, with the rest of our staff, with the whole group in general. Are you willing to do the job? Are you able to do the job? Are, you know, I kind of ask myself all those things and check more boxes mm-hmm. than I used to, even if it's just an assistant. So it, it's applied itself now, not from just the contractor into right. everyone we bring into the circle. So your contractor stole a lot of money from us. <laughs> Just disappeared. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. So uh, you're a Maverick, and yeah. you are operator. Operator. So uh, you like people. Yes. Right. Even uh, if I don't like you, you don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we were talking about earlier. So you like to hire screen a certain way. So I'm an individualist. Okay. What does that exactly break down to? I'm gonna do whatever I think I'm, is best, regardless right? of. If so anyone's like, on board or not. <laughs> yeah, right? So uh, you're a Maverick, and so we have a lot of similarities. Okay. The difference is he's more extroverted. I'm more introverted. Oh, I see. Okay. And I'm more likely to follow a process where uh, he's like, now nah, let's just reinvent this every single time. Yeah. yeah. Right? 100%. Who needs a process? <laughs> yeah. Well, process. It's going to be easy. Who has time for processes, yeah. right? So you got to clean up his mess more often than you have to clean up my mess. But I'm still going to create messes because of the high A, right? I'm just, I see. Yeah. Okay. I'm just keep going. So. As an individualist, where would there be room in your organization, right? Because he's saying you're using PI. Yeah, yeah. We've just recently started doing that. But oh, just yeah. recently started doing yeah. that. Got it. Um, yeah, we find a place for you. You trying to come over there? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see how this market yeah, goes. Let's right. go. <laughs> uh, what book have you gifted more than any other? Uh, I, I will say I need to be better and actually give the book, but mm-hmm. I just give the recommendation mm-hmm. book. It's, uh, it's Who Not How, yeah. uh, the Same number author. one. Yeah, we read it together, and it was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. This yeah. is like the game changer to business mindset mm-hmm. because we get stuck in that. Even even with two of us, it's like, man, how do we do that? How do we do so many things at one time? How it's do just we, the wrong question. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that paralyzed us. It, it will legitimately paralyze you thinking to yourself, how do I do everything I need to do to accomplish one goal? Yeah. Versus who can I utilize to help me? I think being a part of networks and masterminds and bigger groups and collaborations has even, you know, strengthened that mentality quite a bit. Because for us, Scottsdale, we're thinking, how do we pick up our entire operation and move it to Scottsdale to flip houses? I thought about that for years. Right, for like a year or two. And it's like, we want to go here, but man, we got to go open a brokerage and find contractors versus... Who can we find in Scottsdale that's a solid operator that already knows what they're doing that we could add value to? Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And as soon as we found that person, flipped a house, made money on it, easy deal. Yep. And again, I go back to if you like that book and you like Gavin the Game. 
Highly recommend Strategic Coach. Yeah. yeah. Um, how about yourself? Which book have you given to more than more than any other? Yeah, Who Not How um, is the one we talk about just together the most. Um, outside of that, Traction's pretty good. You know, yeah. that's for me. I needed to read something like that, obviously, yeah. because that's not the way my mind operates. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you're like me and a maverick, and you know your mind's all over the place, and you're not a systems and processes type of person within your own business, Traction could kind of bring you back down to earth with it. Yep. So um, I'm going to make a few quick announcements. Uh, so think about the message you want to leave all the listeners with. Okay. Uh, guys, if you got value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. Help us help more people. I think there were some incredible, incredibly valuable gems dropped throughout today's episode. So help me help more people. Uh, and then we do have our event coming up this Friday and Saturday, right? Ren and I, Ren's actually in the next room over here. He's done 100 plus wholesale deals in a month, right? We're going to be talking about how to grow your organization through sales leadership. Uh, so do check that out. Go to disruptors.com slash sales leadership. And we have part in the disruption tomorrow. Don't forget to check that out. What are some last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? One thing, um, this stems right from the boot camp, right from what we're in the middle of coaching and educating others on right now is you think you have to do it all on your own. You don't. You think you need to have a bunch of money to get started. You don't think you need to have all the skills and the knowledge to get started. And you don't, Mm -hmm. you don't have to have everything you think you have to have to actually get started. What you do have to have is somebody who will educate you on exactly that. Yeah. Right. Also, you don't need to get licensed. Yeah. You don't need to get licensed. (laughs) But I suggest it. Yeah. Stemming off that and kind of piggybacking off that, you have to have the motivation, which if you're listening to this, podcast today you already have a little bit of that motivation you have that interest to move things forward you have to execute on the next step set a goal and execute that goal uh, don't paralyze yourself you know over analyzing you know this whole business and what you need to get started seriously just get started yeah and that's key absolutely key uh if someone wants to find out more about the boot camp again where do they go yes so i think the link's going to be posted but you can go to future flipper dot com slash bootcamp that's our landing page ton of information on there you can learn more about what it is when it is um, everything to do with the bootcamp you can also find out a lot about us what we teach what we cover on all of our social media handles it's all the Bokley brothers mm-hmm. youtube tiktok instagram those are our big three Bokley cousins doesn't quite it doesn't have a ring to it no all right thank you so much thank Thanks you for coming on it was, it was great appreciate thank it that's fun See you guys all next week. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.